Hello, everyone. Thank you very much for joining us today. My name is Susie Gelman, and I'm privileged to serve as the board chair of Israel Policy Forum. I want to welcome those of you who are joining Israel Policy Forum for the first time today, and I'd like to welcome back our returning viewers. I also want to take a moment to express our congratulations to Prime Minister Naftali Bennett and alternate Prime Minister Yair Lapid on the formation of a new Israeli government. As we affirmed in our statement, as supporters of Israel as a secure Jewish and democratic state, we hope that the new Israeli government commits to that vision and takes steps to ensure the possibility of a two-state outcome. As recent events have demonstrated, the status quo is an illusory concept. And while the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is not ripe for resolution, it surely cannot be ignored. In this critical moment of political transition, Israel Policy Forum is providing a tremendous amount of credible analysis and top-notch resources. I encourage you to tune into our podcast, Israel Policy Pod, listen to recordings of previous briefings, and read the Koplo column, which will return next week. This work is made possible by you, our supporters. If you do not yet support our work, please do so by visiting www.israelpolicyforum.org forward slash support. Now to this week's topic. The swearing in of the new Israeli government on Sunday ended 12 consecutive years of Benjamin Netanyahu's tenure. In his stead, a new coalition helmed by Naftali Bennett and Yair Lapid has brought together the broadest ideological spectrum ever represented in the Israeli government. To help us understand the significance of all of this, we are pleased to be joined by Shira Efron, a policy advisor with Israel Policy Forum, and Alon Pinkas, a senior writer with Haaretz and former Consul General of Israel in New York. With that, Shira and Alon, thanks for your patience through our many housekeeping items, and thank you so much for joining us today. Pleasure. Pleasure. Hi, Susie. Hi, everybody. Hi. Shira, as many have observed, this coalition represents a wide range of ideologies, reaching consensus on controversial issues like the Israeli-Palestinian conflict seems difficult, if not impossible, although the coalition agreement contains some broad language related to Area C. What do you think the new government's policy priorities will be? Um, so thank you all for having me here. And it's really a pleasure to be speaking along um, alone, Pinkas, who I really enjoyed reading and uh, listening to and always makes me laugh. Um, I, I want to talk for a second about just this government and speak about the good about it, because we are focusing a lot of, about, you know, what can potentially go wrong. So I think in terms of the good, first, First, change is good, right? There are no term limits in parliamentary, parliamentary uh, types of regimes, but it's been uh, a quarter of a century since Benjamin Netanyahu was elected the first time. Um, and, you know, uh, this change could, could have come uh, sooner, um, not from a partisan perspective. Um, also, out of 27 ministers, we have uh, nine uh, women ministers. I know in the U.S., it's like, what is the big deal? It's a third. Uh, here in Israel, it's a big, big, big step forward. There are um, younger ministers. There are really competent ones that are actually uh, qualified to do the jobs that they're assigned to do. For, the, for instance, the uh, Minister of Education, she has a PhD in education. So this is things that you would take for granted with a professional cabinet. Here, it's not always the case. And I think this is good. Um, I also, we have to, to um, I think, to celebrate the fact that there's an Arab party in the coalition, the Arab population of Israel, uh, Palestinians of the 48, citizens of Israel, 21% of the population, they're uh, represented. Um, and, uh, and you would argue also that this mishmash of ideologies uh, is complicated. Nonetheless, it is representative of the population. And you know also from the U.S., when you get stuff, uh, bipartisan support for things, they're more long-lasting. So when you have center, right, left, really left, uh, the Arabs, uh, religious, secular, uh, this is this is welcome. And I would say also that when you talk about priorities of the government, it's going to be domestic, socioeconomic issues. Israel, like the rest of the world, is recovering after a pandemic. Uh, uh, bigger socioeconomic gaps, uh, horrendous infrastructure situation, uh, tourism industry that essentially is dead, collapsed, 
there are so many problems, of course, the public health system, public education system. And on these issues, if it, even though everything is political, those parties can agree on many, many, many things. Um, interestingly, INSS um, had a survey yesterday that the findings are not out yet, but it, we just got the raw, raw data. And you look at the Israeli public across the board, all sects of society, they all consider socioeconomic domestic issues to be the most important one. Only 5% of respondents said that they are concerned about foreign policy issues. So I know when we speak with the US, you know, we talk about the Palestinian issues and Area C and Iran, and we can get to the other topics that are of interest, but these are really not are gonna be the priority um, issues of this new government. Um, it does not mean that this government that was uh, the main glue for its formation and the main glue that's going to keep it alive is probably Benjamin Netanyahu, as long as he's part, part of the scene. Um, it, it's going to be challenged by uh, events. I don't anticipate any major step on the Palestinian front. There are no major divisions on other regional issues, not on Iran. Uh, not on other Arab countries. Um, and, you know, the language, if you read the coalition agreements and what was promised to this party and this party, you can understand that not much is going to happen. This is within the short time frame. Uh, it's really hard to anticipate what's going to happen in a year or so and what the opposition is going to do and how challenged uh, different uh, parliament members are going to be uh, in terms of voting on. We see today there's the the the, the parade in Jerusalem, the flag march uh, that is very contested. Uh, but, but you know, <laughs> I hear it's still going. Um, now, I don't, uh, I don't anticipate anything terribly challenging happening in the near front. And I, ha I think they all have uh, big incentives uh, for ironing their differences and coming to compromises. This is within the first, I guess, I don't want to, you know, put my money on it, but I would say within the first year. What happens from now on, this is, you know, beyond us this to say. Thank you, Shira. Um, officials in the new government, including Prime Minister Bennett and Foreign Minister Lapid, have expressed their aspirations to strengthen the U.S.-Israel relationship in light of the past decade plus of partisan strain. Alone, how, if at all, do you think this coalition can achieve that objective? And how do you expect opposition leader Netanyahu to figure into this, considering he just hosted Nikki Haley and John Hagee at the prime minister's residence yesterday after being removed from office? Where he's not supposed to be and not, not supposed to host anyone. Um, hi, Susie. Hello, everyone. Uh, happy and privileged to be with you. Um, OK, um, look. There are two. There are two layers of this relation, the U.S.-Israeli relationship that the government is relating to. One is, you know, the uh, the deep institutionalized and organizational relationship, which everyone would roll off their tongues and and pay tribute to that it's as strong as ever. Intelligence cooperation, security cooperation, uh, qualitative military uh, um, advantage or qualitative military edge. So edge, sorry, so-called QME. Um, and the U.S. support and, and uh, um, diplomatic umbrella that it provides Israel in international forms. That, that's not going to change, obviously, and that's not necessarily going to improve because there's very little uh, room for improvement. I mean, just, just a few, uh, two weeks ago, uh, uh, there was this story that, 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 that smacked of politics, but, but what is an illustration of my point. Uh, um, when Israel asked for an additional $735 million for, um, uh, for precise munitions and for rocket replenishment of the uh, Iron Dome system. And so that wasn't a big deal. It became political because, because some people in, in the House of Representatives wanted further review. Okay, but that was that. The sec <clears throat> I'm sorry, I apologize. The, uh, uh, the second layer, Susie, is the most important one. And that is, uh, uh, that, that's actually made up of two things. One is restoring Israel's credibility. The one thing that you could say about Benjamin Netanyahu is that he has a severe credibility deficit with the US. And that goes back to the Clinton, Bill Clinton era, certainly to Barack Obama. I mean, presidents under which or with which 
Uh, um, he was uh, prime minister as an interlocutor. Um, it even it even touches parts of the uh, Trump uh, presidency and obviously spills over into the Biden administration. Biden, of course, naturally and obviously being Obama's vice president for eight years, so he's no he's no novice. Um, and I think that both Bennett and Lapid begin with a, uh, a credibility uh, favorability in that re- in that respect. Uh, that they will honor the U.S., that they will not seek open confrontation, that they will not meddle in American politics, that they will not play uh, uh, pyromaniacs on Capitol Hill, that they will not divulge out secrets, et cetera, et cetera. There's another facet to it, uh, which this government uh, ostensibly uh, is set to uh, rectify, and that is the the negligent uh, or the, the uh, the, the reckless negligence of Benjamin Netanyahu's uh, relationship with the uh, Democratic Party. Um, I don't know who's watching us or listening to us now, so I don't know the makeup of the uh, of, of Democrats to Republicans. I can only assume. But here's the thing: it was not it was not coincidental, and it was not even politically expedient. This is deep rooted. This is a man who supplanted American Jews with Christian evangelicals. This is a man who, who, who dislikes um, Democrats and liberal Democrats and Upper West Side Jewish liberal Democrats profoundly. This is not this is not some this is not about the Iran deal. It's not in 2015 JCPOA. This is much deeper than that. And the Democratic Party, as you know, and you don't need me for this, uh, um, has grown and is a majority party um, in, 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 in American society, not just in, in Congress. And it has its groups, and and um, these groups are alienated. Some of these groups and some of these outspoken individuals are alienated from the Israel they know in their formative political years. And as Shira pointed out, it's been half a century of his presence in Israeli politics and ten and twelve. I'm sorry, consecutive years uh, um, as prime minister. And so, if you look at the likes of uh, AOC or or, or uh, uh, Pokin or uh, look, you even saw that creeping into the mainstream, the centrist uh, Democratic Party with uh, letters signed by uh, the likes of David Cicilline and, 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 and Jerry Nadler and Bob Menendez, Senator Menendez uh, from the Foreign Relations Committee and Adam Schiff. They all made these kind of critical comments. And so I think that that uh, when when Bennett as prime minister and Lapid as foreign minister and prime minister designate in two years, Assuming this uh, uh, this government survives intact um, in its current form, that is, um, I, what they mean by uh, improving relations with the U.S. I think is primarily uh, reengaging with the Democratic Party, reengaging with Amer- with the vast majority of, of American Jews, and restoring a level of credibility and and discreteness and intimacy into the uh, leadership to leadership dialogue. Alone, following up on on your last point, do you think the hard right positions espoused by Bennett, Ayelet Shaked, Gidon Saar, and other leading members of the coalition will be an obstacle to improving ties with the United uh, States and the American no, Jewish community? No, no, I do not. I, I, I think it was a a, a, a singular political um, actor called Benjamin Netanyahu that precipitated this. I think that if you take uh, Bennett and Sal, I don't know much about uh, uh, Ms. Mrs. Shaked's positions on this, but if you take uh, Bennett and Sal, two gentlemen that I know well, um, they are part and parcel of, of, of the old consensus on U.S.-Israeli relations. That is that Israel, is, that one of the basic tenets and force multipliers, Susie, of, of the Israeli-American uh, uh, relationship is Israel being a bipartisan issue. Bipartisan doesn't necessarily mean that the level of support, the intensity of support, the music and tones of the support are identical for a uh, liberal Democrat from San Francisco or a conservative Republican from uh, Nebraska. What it does mean is that Israel will do its utmost not to become a wedge issue. And in the last few years, it has done deliberately everything it could to become a wedge issue, which leads me to the second part of your question uh, uh, or comments, which I neglected to answer. And that is, uh, uh, how will Mr. Netanyahu figure into that? Well, as long as he's chairman of the opposition, 
And I would not go to Las Vegas and bet on how long that will last. It could be just two months and it could be two years. I don't know. He's facing a very serious trial on corruption and obstruction of justice and, and bribery and, 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 uh, um, and what have you. Um, it's difficult to run that trial when you're not the prime minister and you, you, you lack the, uh, the protective uh, gear that the office and the title provides you with. Um, but as long as he's in the picture, he's going to go against that card. He's going he's to continue trying to turn Israel into a partisan issue in the U.S. He's going to use every opportunity, say the Iran deal, the re-entry of the U.S. into the JCPOA. He's going to turn this into Democrats are weak, Democrats are appeasers, Democrats are Neville Chamberlains. This, this Israeli government is succumbing to, uh, uh, to Biden's left-wing, weak, feeble uh, leadership on Iraq. I'm the only one who, by the way, the record is 100% diametrically different. His record on Iran is, exact, is the exact opposite of that. But that's, that's besides the point. So um, I, I think, Susie, um, that you will see um, Bennett. Look, don't forget, this is this is a new. There's a mutually assured destruction element in this in this government. I mean, we 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 look at it, and Sheila related to it or referred to it earlier. Um, there is the you know this multi disparate collection of, of of parties, and all, all small, by the way. The largest one is Lapid uh, uh, party which is 17 seats out of 120. So that's, that's hardly, that's borderline medium-sized party, but, but the rest are small, eight, seven, seven, six, six and four uh, seats in parliament out of 120. Um, what you will see is a, a, a mutual nullification of any movement to the extreme. And so in that respect, I think you will see a very uh, good, I expect to see a very good dialogue with the U.S., obviously, my my, my last uh, um, uh, remark here. Obviously, you know, reality is not bound by coalition agreements, and the Palestinians are not bound by coalition agreements. And 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 think, you know, in, in an explosive atmosphere, uh, uh, you know, circumstances and and opportunities may 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 challenge this government's decision to defer and not to deal with contentious and controversial issues. But if, as Shira and I agree, uh, uh, um, anticipates or, or predicts there won't be anything major on, on, on the foreign policy slash Palestinian issue, then, the, then mending uh, uh, relations with the U.S. along the lines that I described, I think will go smoothly, irrespective if you're the Labour Party, Yair Lapid, Lieberman, or Bennett, from left to right. Okay. Um, Shira. Where do you expect to find the greatest sources of tension between this new government and the Biden administration? You know, so I agree with Alon uh, about pretty much with everything he said. Um, so this is going to be really boring. Um, I don't anticipate uh, any. You can try, try. You can try better. I'll try. I'll try. Wait, I'm bringing. I'm, I'm, I'm getting to it. No, but, but I really don't anticipate any uh, tension, no friction. I think there's going to be really goodwill on all parts uh, to mend ties to, you know, and, and Yair Lapid is a known commodity in Washington. Uh, he's also, by the way, in Europe, uh, a known commodity and very well liked. He has a personal relationship with Macron. It's not what we're talking about here, but there's something about like bringing back Israel to the, 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 the world of nations, right? The sort of the West. and and, and and I think Bennett uh, does not have that, but he wants that. Uh, so he's going to be much more cautious. No one wants to pick a fight for, with the U.S. Um, but there are going to be three core issues uh, on which the U.S. and the United States, uh, sorry, the U.S. and Israel uh, don't see, the Biden administration, okay, don't see eye to eye on. Uh, first is the Palestinians, obviously. Uh, the Biden administration see, still thinks that a two-state solution is the best way forward. This is sort of the goal, right? They understand that they can't reach it now. They're not in the business of restarting peace talks. Even, I don't think even, even now, it's not a priority issue, but it's still an issue. There are certain things that they want to do. Uh, Bennett was the architect of the annexation, the original annexation plan. His red line is really Area C. 60% uh, of the West Bank, without which there is no viable, viable Palestinian state. 
he coined the term autonomy on steroids. Uh, he thinks that the, the Palestinians, the best they can hope for is an autonomy. Uh, Gidon Saar, the same. I dare to say that they would like to see the Jordanian option uh, revived if this was a viable thing. But, you know, the sort of the least, uh, the least bad option for them is this autonomy. This is not an end game for the administration. It does not uh, mean that they can't find some steps that would be satisfying uh, and that would improve lives for Palestinians in areas A and B, would make a difference and would be welcomed by the rest of the government, but they don't see an eye to eye on this issue. And um, I can give you an example. If you start, you know, you look at the previous round of the previous, it's just been two weeks ago, round of fighting with Gaza. I didn't start in Gaza, right? It started in Jerusalem, lots of skirmishes and a neighborhood that many people on the line may know because it's right where the American Colony Hotel is, uh, Sheikh Jarrah. Uh, there are evictions coming. What is this government is going to do on evictions? I know from U.S. government uh, reports say that they would like Israel to defer this decision, uh, defer it, uh, uh, let's say, uh, uh, I, I don't know, just keep rolling this hot potato as long as possible. Will this government be able to do this? You know, this is this is a big issue. I don't anticipate it um, in an explosion, but that could create tension. Obviously, Iran. Uh, in, on Friday, starting a uh, sixth round of talks in Vienna, uh, return to the JCPOA. There are also elections in Iran Friday. It looks like uh, the re reformists are losing, going to be even a, a hardliner uh, government there. But what does it mean for the agreement? Is, is the United States going and Iran, are they going back to the agreement, the nuclear agreement with Iran? This is something that is not looked at with a positive eye in Israel. There's also with Iran, the regional dimension. Will Israel still get the freedom of action in Syria, in Iraq? I think yes on that dimension, but on the nuclear front. But they will solve differences with the U.S. discreetly. No one is going to do the Bibi Netanyahu, you know, the playbook of going to Congress. There's also a different speaker in the House now, so they can't do this. But, but sort of no one wants to do that. There's one topic that I think could be an issue is uh, Israel's uh, ties with China. It's not something we speak about a lot. It is an actually a bipartisan issue in Washington. It was something that the Trump administration threatened Israel to uh, curtail uh, intelligence sharing over it. Uh, the Israeli government paid lip service to U.S. concerns, uh, but it has not gone forward. It, it has not taken um, active steps addressing the concerns of the U.S. with China. And I think more on that is coming. And this is an issue that, you know, I don't think see disagreements between the two sides of the Israeli government, but I could see differences with the U.S. on that. Uh, so these are issues that could be contentious, but I think because everyone's coming to it with, with really goodwill, um, I, I just don't see those crises, those crises we've seen in the last, uh, over the last 12 years uh, occurring, not in, the, not in the short term, at least. Well, let's hope, right? Um, I want to ask both of you uh, another question. Shira, you mentioned Jerusalem, of course, as being where the latest round of fighting really began. Uh, so yesterday, the new public security minister, Omer Barlev, decided to permit a controversial parade, the so-called Flags March, which passed through Jerusalem's Muslim quarter with participants shouting incitement, including death to Arabs, and to which Hamas has threatened to use as a pretext for further attacks against Israel. So I want to ask both of you, maybe start with Alone. Why do you think the new government is allowing the march to proceed or allowed the march to proceed? I guess it's going on now, uh, despite previous instances of it being canceled. And how do you expect Prime Minister Bennett and other officials to handle the potential fallout? Well, you know, it, it's a classic case, Susie, of, of under any other circumstances that should this Parade should not have been allowed to uh, uh, take place. But Netanyahu's government last week, when there was still a Netanyahu government, basically kicked the can down the road, knowing that after Sunday there's a new government. So why not let them uh, um, smash their heads into this wall? So the new government had basically uh, two options to say, no, this is too provocative. And to risk, you know, the, uh, the wrath of the uh, right wing to saying that, okay, you're starting off as weak, appeasnik uh, uh, type of uh, leftists, which is not the case if you look at the makeup of the coalition, or to do 
the right thing politically, but the wrong thing uh, substantively, meaning um, let this go, show that you're not afraid, uh, show that you own the, uh, uh, the place, show that there's a new sheriff in town, and, and once this passes, hopefully quietly, it's not finished yet, if I, uh, if I understand correctly, not entirely at least, uh, then, then supposedly you, um, you passed your first uh, uh, baptism of fire. Um, now, the government can and should expect um, the right wing and, and the opposition, the parliamentary opposition headed by Mr. Netanyahu, to throw these kind of firebombs at them on a weekly basis. Uh, the idea politically being, Susie, uh, to uh, embarrass, to push into a corner the right-wing components of the coalition to say, look at you. When we said this is a left-wing coalition, you said, hell no, we're right-wing. We have our bona fides. You're not going to tell us uh, uh, we're not right-wing. Well, look at you now. Uh, uh, you're, you're standing down, you're not doing anything, you're, you're aloof. Um, okay, so the government had to challenge that, you know, immediately as it was established. You know, again, on a substantive basis, this should not have taken place. On a political basis, I entirely understand the government's decision. Shira, do you want to add anything to what Alona said? No, I, I agree with Alona. Again, um, yeah, again, again, unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, look, you also, I mean, objectively, you could, you could also argue that you can't not do things because Hamas threatens, right? This is also like a sovereign country. And the, the march itself could be less controversial. It's the route that is problematic and the people participating and leading it. Right? So you could do this differently. Of course, that's not the goal. And that's, that's part of the provocation, why it's problematic. Uh, but I assume they thought it's also a calculated risk. Uh, as of now, I understand that you know the, the march they left the Damascus Gate, which is one of the most one of the most uh, um, contentious point, uh, and moved toward Jaffa Gate. It's not over yet, but limited violations of order, let's say. So hopefully this will end well. But I think what Alon said is really interesting and important to know, and it's so different from the United States. So yeah, the coalition. Um, members of Knesset are going to be challenged by the opposition members of Knesset. But it's funny, yesterday I spoke with a former uh, Knesset member, and he said, you know, the worst thing is to be a parliament member, a Knesset member from the coalition. Because you don't have a lot of authority, and you're forced to constantly, like, show this discipline and vote for things you disagree with. So this is where we have to look at. The, the mm. heads of the parties themselves, they do not have any incentive breaking this package apart, right? For some of them, it's like that Bennett has no party, he has no base, he's a prime minister, got 5% of the, the votes. It's crazy. But also all the others, you know, it's 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 it's, it's survival or death, essentially. Uh, but But you need to look at those, like, less trustworthy or those the, the risky, the ones that can go, could go wrong. Uh, there are not that many of them, but it would be interesting to see. Uh, we can we can probably point at some names that uh, are the usual suspect, um, and it will be interesting, uh, the interaction between them and their counterparts on the opposition. So I want to remind our audience, if you have a question, and we already have several good ones in the queue, but if you'd like to ask one, please type it in the Q&A box. Um, Alone, before I turn to the audience questions, uh, you recently wrote about Finance Minister Avigdor Lieberman in a piece for Haaretz, identifying him as a critical player in bringing down Netanyahu. And by the way, Alone, I wanted to say, I've thought for a long time that the relationship between Netanyahu and Lieberman is one that someone could write an amazing screenplay. Maybe you're doing it, I don't know. But uh, their relationship is is just classic in any event. Now yeah, that Su Bibi Susie, it's a Sopranos thing. I think the show went. <laughs> so I, I think it is. Now that BB <laughs> has been unseated, what do you expect Lieberman's aims to be? Well, okay. So uh, Lieberman, you know, people tend to forget because because conveniently and rightly and and, and in a way and accurately, people say this anti-Netanyahu movement, this anti-Netanyahu coalition, this anti-Netanyahu fervor, this anti-Netanyahu pro-democracy 
uh, uh, amalgamation of, 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 of polit politics, uh, political parties, I'm sorry, from the left, from the center, from the right, from, from, from cities and kibbutzim. And, uh, okay. Um, and, and, and that was directed at, but people tend to forget that politics are sometimes uh, determined or political events transpire and are determined by circumstantial and, and, and very local events. In the, two th in the first 2019 election, in April of 2019, Netanyahu received 35 seats in the Knesset, as did the, the now defunct Blue and White. I mean, the, the, the party exists and is led by Mr. Gantz, the defense minister, Benny Gantz, but the big, the big coalition, when it included Mr. Lapid and, and, and everyone else, um, they also got 35, but they couldn't form a government. And, and the assumption was, the conventional wisdom was, that Netanyahu is a shoe-in because he has uh, 64 seats in the so-called right-wing bloc. What people didn't realize that the 2019 election was the first in four successive election cycles that were not about left and right, that the dividing line was not left and right. Um, then people realized it and called it the pro and, and anti-Netanyahu uh, uh, schism, but, but, even that is, is an oversimplification. It was pro-democracy and, and anti-democracy, to, to put it uh, simply. And what people missed then is Lieberman's position because they were thinking in terms of the old traditional conventional right-wing bloc, Lieberman is naturally part of that bloc. Now, Lieberman is not part of that bloc because Lieberman, yes, he's right-wing in the sense that, that his positions on the Israeli-Palestinian issue for many years can be easily classified, classified or categorized as being right-wing. But Lieberman is also a secular liberal. Um, and some people who don't know him and some people who are fooled by his history or by his uh, Russian accent are, and, and, and the biases and, and prejudices and racism that comes along with that just assumed that, you know, he's playing politics and he's maneuvering for a better uh, 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 deal with Netanyahu. And it's just a matter of time. By the way, the one person, the one person who constantly said to anyone who, who was asking, do you think Netanyahu will eventually have a government? And, and that person said, absolutely not, because you don't understand Lieberman, is former Prime Minister Eudomilt. Uh, who people said, well, he hates Netanyahu so much, so he, this is his wishful thinking. Well, he was 100% right. Now, that happened again in, in, in the second election in September of 2019, and again in 2020, and again, obviously, in recent and most current and recent election, most recent, I'm sorry, election in, in March of 2021. So now we have Lieberman, who basically set this in motion. yes. It was Mr. Lapid who masterfully um, 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 was the architect of this coalition. And yes, had it not been for Mr. Gidon Sa, who splintered from Likud and created, uh, you know, a big bang in the, in the right wing uh, uh, universe, this could not have happened. And, you know, there's the chief architect himself. This coalition could not have happened without uh, uh, Mr. Netanyahu. I mean, if, if, if there's one person who, who should be the, the coalition's person of the year, uh, that would be Mr. Netanyahu, because without him, no one would ever fathom that such a coalition would, uh, uh, would, would, would be established or be, uh, uh, be formed. Now, Lieberman is secular, Lieberman is, is liberal, and Lieberman dislikes the ultra-Orthodox profoundly. Um, he has, it's not, it's just, it's, it's not just an ethnic thing or a religious secular divide. Um, it, it, it runs deeper than that. Um, if you ever ask him, um, he will, uh, come up with these, these numbers from the OECD on the Israeli economy and Israeli society and levels of education and levels of proficiency in math, English, physics, and so on that show that because of the ultra-Orthodox and to a lesser extent, but still the Arab uh, population of Israel, um, Israel is going to regress, not progress in the next 20 to 30 years. Uh, by 2045, 60% of first graders in Israel will either be ultra-Orthodox or Arab. Now, when you ask, when Lieberman says that, everyone says, well, he's a racist. 
racist. He hates the Arabs and he hates the ultra-Orthodox. I mean, how bad, how, how worse could, could it be? Well, no, he's not looking at it uh, uh, that way. He's, he's saying, okay, in terms of, of the economy, the, uh, the strength of the society and the core Zionism of society, neither the ultra-Orthodox nor the Arab subscribe to the Zionist enterprise. Yeah, let's, let's not forget that. Um, so that is why, Susie, he insisted on being um, the uh, Treasury uh, Minister, the ministry, Minister of the Treasury. Uh, so he can control the budget in a way that would um, uh, uh, change priorities or not just reflect priorities, but actually uh, uh, determine priorities of where Israel is headed. Um, and I think in that respect, um, he's going to have a very central and pivotal role. Add to that one last thing. Um, he is the most veteran and seasoned of them all. He's been foreign minister. He's been prime minister. He's been transportation minister. He was a minister of infrastructure. So he's, he's been there and seen it all. And I think that his friendship with uh, Lapid and the fact that he's, he doesn't pose any threat, any political threat, that is, uh, to Bennett would make him an even more uh, um, important figure in, in the coalition. All that obviously provided that he succeeds as far as, as uh, finance minister. I said treasury. It's now called finance. They changed it a few years ago. Um, but I think, I think you know, anyone, anyone who was thinking all we got to do is, is get rid of Mr. Netanyahu and the political culture that he installed, and the populism, populism and the demagoguery and semi-authoritarianism, uh, all these people have to, uh, even grudgingly, even if they hate doing so, they need to thank Lieberman for what he did in 2019. I'm going to turn to audience questions because we have so many of them. I hope we get to, well, we'll get to as many as we can. So uh, Aaron Miller, who you both know very well, uh, says, we've seen how dangerous Netanyahu in opposition can be. His willingness to demonize Rabin and acquiesce or encourage opposition to Oslo incitement and hate leading to Rabin's murder. What can the new government or outsiders do, if anything, to shame, blame, and tame Bibi if and when he takes that course of action? Shira, I'm going to start with you and then alone you can chime in. You know, I, I don't, hi, Aaron. It, you know, it's a good, it's a good question. And I must admit, um, it's not what keeps me up at night at the moment. Um, there's a very different atmosphere in Israel. Netanyahu is not Netanyahu of 96. Um, he's not this new promise. He's not this, you know, new person. He doesn't have the masses of support. He has, he has a strong base, and it's scary to think what this strong base can do. Um, but there is a chance that he would lose, and this all depends on so many moving parts that we don't know. But this depends on, you know, his trial. Uh, if there's going to be, an, uh, I don't know if we push and the Likud, but he was trying to be removed. Mm -hmm. um, I I don't know maybe this is where we disagree but um, but I know this can be very dangerous uh, the the discourse in Israel is very dangerous of course the conversation is very violent we saw that Netanyahu said that uh, you know the standards sort of like oh what do you want it's not uh, January sixth so the transition here went relatively smoothly right because it wasn't violent and nobody nobody <laughs> stormed the the the, the Knesset but. Um, You know, I'm not, I'm not as concerned um, at the moment. I will tell you that when you're asking about what others can do, uh, that that that's really challenging because the the media uh, in Israel is doing the opposite. Uh, there is uh, someone who tracks uh, how many hours Itamar Ben Gvir of you know the Kahana uh, legacy uh, gets on TV. He gets more prime time than any other politician has been getting since uh, as of the last three weeks, I think. Uh, so if this, if this is an indicator, it does not, uh, bond well for us, but I'm curious to think what a long, a long thing. Well, you know, um, Aaron is a hundred percent right. And I, and in both the, uh, um, diagnosis and while it's, you know, he asked a question, he also provided the prognosis, shame and tame. 
Aaron. That's 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 the thing. Uh, uh, talk about his record constantly. His record on relations with the U.S. is abysmal. His record on the uh, um, on Iran is abysmal. Everything he did about Iran ended up as a colossal failure. Iran is now much closer to a breakout uh, um, in in terms of developing a nuclear device, a military nuclear device, than it ever was. Um, his his record in terms of of um, Israeli democracy, you know, the checks and balances, uh, uh, the, the supremacy of the law, the, uh, uh, the, the independence of the judiciary is abysmal. This needs to be, um, as you suggested yourself in, in, in your comment, Aaron, this needs to be uh, said again and again and again. Assuming that he will disappear into his own Mar-a-Lago, um, and let's call his trial the, the equivalent of Mar-a-Lago, unless he actually goes to Mar-a-Lago. Um, <clears throat> assuming he will disappear is wishful thinking. He will stay. He will throw firebombs. He will incite. He will go to Congress. He will stand up to Biden surrounded by Republican uh, uh, lawmakers. I think this will make other Republicans cringe, but they will go along for reasons that are outside the scope of our conversation here today. Um, and he will do everything he can to undermine, subvert, and weaken this government. Now, I do agree with Sheila that we should not exaggerate in terms of who he is right now, because he is not, he is not you know, an up-and-coming political uh, uh, um, star. Um, um, he lacks the investment. He lacks the support. Uh, there's going to be fatigue of the type that people anticipated with Trump, uh, uh, but there's going to be fatigue. And um, unlike the Republican Party in the U.S., I think that at some point um, we're too close to the event itself, to you know, to the uh, to ground zero of of what happened here, what transpired here in last week, Aaron. But give it a month or two, maybe three at most, um, and he will uh, disappear. Um, it'll be gradual. It'll be well as you know, it's gonna be short, nasty, and brutish. Um, but but it, it will happen. He's facing a trial. Um, Likud members who want a political future understand that they cannot be aligned with him anymore because that that has become uh, um, very bad. That has become radioactive. And on on top on top of all that, um, a if if the government succeeds, and this is this is a point that. We hadn't had a chance to mention earlier, neither Shira or I, in, ter in terms of the longevity of the government. And I'm sure I, I already took a peek, Susie. I saw that a lot of questions relate to the, uh, how long and how durable this government is. But let me just say one thing. If the government succeeds in passing the budgets, and in Israel it's going to be a two-year budget, then it is more or less... Um, um, impervious to any to any uh, toppling down it 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 can almost not be uh, uh, voted down so so Netanyahu knows that there's there's a confluence of events here um, the proximity to the election the uh, uh, the, the, the sense of uh, shock amongst his supporters that that the magician the so-called magician failed for the fourth successive time in foreign government and the budget he has a three four months period window of time, in which to do all those things that are that that Aaron mentioned in his comment, um, I doubt that he will be successful. But I would urge, you know, Mr. Bennett and Mr. Lapid and everyone else in that coalition not to take that threat lightly. Okay, um, Alon, you mentioned Iran and and what you described as as Netanyahu's failures when it came to Iran. So we have a couple of questions about the JCPOA. Daniel Kordansky asks, when the Biden administration rejoins the JCPOA, how will the new Israeli administration react? And uh, along similar lines, Bob Sherman, a member of our board, um, says that the State Department just announced the relief of certain sanctions shortly in advance of resumption of the Vienna talks. Those opposed to re-entering the JCPOA and even those like me who support it will say this shows the US is too anxious and already giving up leverage. The new yeah. opposition leader will undoubtedly, or the now opposition leader will undoubtedly urge the new government to criticize this move. What do you think this 
the government, the new. Well, okay. Um, the government basically inherited a, a situation in which the U.S. is adamant in joining the JC, re-entering uh, the JCPOA. I'm not going to relitigate 2015. Not the not the original agreement, good, bad, flawed, imperfect, or great. Nor uh, 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 Mr. Netanyahu's uh, um, antics in 2015 in Congress or his influence on, on then-President Trump in May of 2019 to unilaterally withdraw from the, uh, um, uh, from the agreement. It's important. It deserves a uh, webinar uh, um, in itself. Uh, but here's the thing. The government inherited the following situation. The U.S. is insistent, adamant, and possibly anxious, as Mr. Sherman said, uh, to join and and even to the point of giving up and not and perhaps not negotiating forcefully just to get this off the table because uh, nine out of uh, Mr. Biden's uh, top 10 priorities are domestic and the 10th is China. Uh, the JCPOA is, is a nuisance, is a, is a uh, uh, relic of, of, of the uh, previous administration that needs to be addressed. Now, Israel finds itself in a very difficult situation because of Mr. Netanyahu's antics and, and uh, uh, propensity for, for confrontation with Obama and, and again with the, uh, with the Biden administration. Um, Israel had very little input in, in both the, uh, the, uh, the formation or formulation, rather, of the original agreement and, and the uh, reentry agreement. So I think, and I say this very cautiously because I don't know what goes through the minds of Mr. Bennett and Mr. Lapid and Mr. Gantz for that matter. Um, I think that Israel, as much as it does not like the agreement, is going to have to accept uh, uh, that the U.S. is re-entering the JCPOA. Both uh, Mr. Bennett and Mr. Lapid in their speeches, in their respective speeches uh, the other day in the Knesset, uh, said that they are against the JCPOA in its current form. I think they had to say that. But deep down, I think that they will take the, the issue that we spoke earlier uh, about, uh, Susie, uh, mending relations or improving relations or taking them to a different uh, level, uh, relations with the current administration. And I think that Israel will emphasize um, the next phase because it does give, even a bad, flawed, imperfect agreement does provide Israel with uh, um, a decade worth of, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, preparing for any contingency. But the U.S. still insists, and I don't think the U.S. will relent on that, that this agreement will include a clause on, on amending or modifying or augmenting, expanding, uh, as a better term, the agreement uh, um, to non-nuclear issues. And I think Israel will spend the, the better part of the next year in, in, in respect to negotiate in respect to relations with the U.S., trying to have a substantial input and uh, um, impact on, on where these amendments are going to go. Now, if um, there are not going to be any amendments to the agreements and if we reach 2024, 2025, whomever is, is president, and, and there is no other agreement, then Israel will have to, you know, weigh its uh, policy options. But right now, I don't see Israel risking confrontation with the Biden administration on this. It's, it's a given. Um, not many people like this. Um, some people think that, the, that the, uh, the agreement to which the U.S. is going to uh, subscribe or re-enter um, is, is in a way... Um, not as good as the 2015 agreement. A lot of technical details here, but I think that it's going to be a, a dominant issue on the U.S.-Israeli agenda. I think you're going to hear less of it than you did uh, during the Netanyahu years. Uh, uh, this was a guy, you know, and then for him, this is 1938 all over again. Every day is 1938, and, and Iran is Nazi Germany. And he is Winston Churchill, and he's going to talk about this every day, every night, to whomever is going to listen, because he's saving civilization. Okay? I know it sounds like I'm making fun of him or, or, or uh, deriding him. I'm not. He actually believes that. Um, you're going to see a completely different style of, of uh, engagement and discourse with the U.S. 
you know, Susie, I just just on Iran, we have to say there's an assumption that they're going back to the JCPOA. We have to acknowledge that also with the original JCPOA, the decision in Iran is the decision of one person, the supreme leader. And at this moment in time, we don't know if he wants to go back. And this is an assessment of the Israeli intelligence. So right. there's a lot of like talk about this agreement. I will tell you that all of us looking at this, at least I anticipated things to, because we are going back to the previous agreement, right? And no, not so much with maybe amendments, but the talk is about longer and stronger, you know, more uh, stronger and longer agreement at the end, second stage. Uh, it's very difficult even to reach that one with the elections in Iran that I mentioned and, and the removal of the sanctions that I think is a really good point. Uh, I'm not actually concerned about the removal of the sanctions because if you look at the Iranian economy, it proved very resilient and they found ways not to uh, uh, to, to cope with the sanctions. They're diversifying their economy. Uh, in ways, so so there could be uh, we could be in a different in a different uh, situation altogether. Um, the one silver lining of this, I will say, is that because um, um, for Netanyahu, as Alon said, it was really a religion, and for most other Israelis, they just see it as a, as a uh, you know as a strategic threat. Um, there's going to be more trust and more reliance on the assessments of the professionals. The IDF, the Mossad, the security establishment, and those people, you know, it's a risk management issue. Um, and therefore, I don't think it's going to be a major issue. Israel needs to work, uh, operate under the assumption, they're operating under the assumption that a resumption of the, the agreement is uh, likely. And what can Israel um, talk about with the U.S. in terms of moni monitoring, verifications, uh, assurances, the second stage that I spoke about, the longer and stronger. And this conversation in place already. Um, you know, there are very, very close conversations already between professionals. So I'd only anticipate those to, to, um, to uh, become even closer uh, with them. Thank you both. I'm going to switch gears. We have a number of questions about settlement activity and what this new government might do. So I'm going to ask all three of them, but they're related. Bob Hornstein, what will the impact of the new government with Yamina on the right and Meretz and Ra'am on the left, well, I'm not sure Ra'am is on the left, uh, be on settlement activity? Then David Reisman or Reisman uh, asks, do you think the new government will at least be able to stop the establishment of new settlements and or acquiring more land from Palestinians in Area C? And finally, Michael Goldstein, is there any chance of this government doing anything to alleviate the daily oppressiveness and brutality of the occupation on the West Bank, including settler violence? So I don't know who wants to take that one first. See, I know you're dying to answer that. <laughs> yeah, of course. Okay. Listen, for Bennett, Area C is really, uh, you know, a red line. I don't see them um, hindering settlement activity in those areas. Um, on the other hand, <laughs> you know, we also need to look at the track record of Netanyahu, right? The settlers also complained that he didn't give them everything. He was much more convenient, much more comfortable. Their roads, their suburbia, right? The, the settlements now are much more comfortable places to live in because they're close to Jerusalem and Tel Aviv and they enable semi-normal lives. Uh, but in terms of, uh, uh, he hasn't built a new settlement in 12 years. Um, if there's going to be complaints, why does he do it? He's, he's going to say, you know, where have you been for 12 years? We can't do it. We have Biden. We can't make anyone upset. I don't see that happening. I do think, and I hope this is coming, that um, in areas A and B, which are together, I think 40% of the West Bank, but it's where most Palestinians live, there's a lot that can be done to alleviate the suffering and um, of Palestinians and remove the uh, signs of the Israeli occupation. You can do this on the security front. You can still remove uh, redundant and unnecessary checkpoints. The Palestinian security forces can get more autonomy. Uh, even on the economic front with uh, Lieberman, um, who alone uh, analyzed brilliantly uh, he does not like the Palestinian Authority, so you shouldn't frame it this way. But if you say this is going to help Palestinians, it's going to help the Palestinian private sector, you can do a lot. Lieberman is someone who can, I don't want to go into the weeds, but Lieberman is someone who can have, who can reopen the Paris Protocols, which is the, which, you know, formulates the economic relationship between Israel and the Palestinians and would make a big difference in the lives of Palestinians. 
again, it's very dangerous because I don't want this to be interpreted as sort of the end goal. You'll get good lives in areas A and B and that's it. But those are good things and kind of like the Venn diagram between what the Biden administration would like to see and they're not jumping into this full force, right? They have other priorities, domestic and foreign. Um, and I think this government can do it. Uh, but no one is going to pick a fight with the settlers um, because, uh, because, because they can't politically. Alon, do you have anything to add? Not, uh, not much. I agree. I agree. I agree with Sheila. Look, I'm, I'm not going. I don't want to dodge the questions because they are important. But I do want to uh, put it in a broader context. Do not forget that this government was not elected to deal with the Palestinian issue. Uh, the people who voted for this government, the people who serve in this government, do not see the Palestinian issue as the defining issue or the defining policy. Uh, um, of their vote slash term. Um, the idea was to take is to put Israel back on tracks, not to decide the destination of that train. Uh, the sense was that Israel has been derailed uh, during the Netanyahu years on a variety of issues, um, that it was dangerously close to uh, uh, rolling down the, uh, uh, the, the, the uh, uh, slope. And, and that the first thing you need to do is to put it back on tracks and stabilize it and only then beginning, begin sorry, to, to uh, uh, deliberate and negotiate where are we going. And so historically, I know this, I'm saying this is a contemporary and I'm talking 10 years from now, but historically this government could be very well seen as an interregnum government um, that, that consciously uh, decided not to deal with the issues that the circumstances were uh, uh, fortuitous in, in that respect. I mean, the two-state solution, I don't think it's dead, but I don't think it's, 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 it's alive uh, um, and, and, and uh, going to show up tomorrow. Uh, the Arab world is, is, is okay with Israel, even more so. Um, there are other issues uh, that need to be taken care of. Now, I did say I won't dodge the issue. I think the government is going to work on, I'm not saying this is necessarily going to work, and if it works, not necessarily 100% effective, Susie, uh, but uh, this government is going to work on, on the premise or based on the principle of let's not rock the boat, okay? No settler will be evicted, no new settler will be added, okay? Where there is a must to build another kindergarten or another health clinic, one will be built. Um, but if there's a new neighborhood uh, uh, to be built that requires uh, uh, confiscating Palestinian land or enlarging uh, um, an existing settlement um, horizontally as opposed to vertically, uh, that will not happen. Um, I think that they are all conscious enough uh, uh, and understand that if this is going to bring down the government, if 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 such a contentious issue is going to create enough um, um, explosive material to bring this down, so let's avoid it altogether. Let's detour this. Now, is this smart policy? Probably not. Is, is it a must policy at this moment? Yes. Well, unfortunately, that is all the time we have for today. Shira and Alon, thank you both for your time and for joining us. And I just have to say we had a lot of questions we didn't get to. We could have gone easily another half hour or hour. So we'll just have to have you both back. Uh, once again, I want to thank our supporters who are with us on today's call. Your generosity makes programs like this one possible. Again, if you've not yet done so, please consider making a contribution today at israelpolicyforum.org forward slash support. As always, I also encourage you to subscribe to our podcast, Israel Policy Pod. Sign up to receive the weekly Coplo column in your email inbox and visit our website to access recordings of our previous briefings. Stay tuned for an announcement regarding our next video briefing. Until then, thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you soon. And thank you once more. Shira, Alon, Hamon, Hamon, Toda. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, Susie. Thank you, Shira. Take, take care.